Hey, well, good morning. Hey, good morning, church. Always great to be with you. Uh, hey, if you're a guest, we're so glad you're here with us as well this morning. Glad to have you. And those of you watching online, glad you're tuned in. Uh, do want to just remind you as well, starting next week, right, uh, it's two on two. We're going back to what? Two services. And the service times are? Nine and ten. That was actually better than I expected. Good job, church. Good job. Uh, 9 and 10.30, and so uh, that'll start next week. Um, we're looking forward to that. Um, uh, and, and to do that and to do it well, we are going to need uh, you to, to step up and help us out uh, to, to, to keep this, this ministry running. Um, we're going to need people to step up and, and serve, all right? So we would ask that you consider, humbly consider, worshiping one and serving at one. Worshiping one, serving one, even if you just started doing that once, once a month. In fact, our, our biggest need right now is our children's ministry area. There's a wall uh, out in the lobby. We want you to clear that wall, right? About half of those names went down last week. Church, I could not be prouder of you. That's amazing. You guys took down half of those names last week, but we still got another half to go. So maybe some of you can step up today and uh, grab one of those time slots uh, and start jumping in and, and serving around here. That would be, that would be awesome. Uh, when I was uh, probably in third grade, um, there was this kid at school. He was probably two grades, if not three grades, older than I was. We all did recess together. And this older kid, he would come and, and he would always find me and uh, he, would, he would just come out of nowhere, it seemed, and sucker punch me. Had no idea where he was going to punch me, but he would just come out of nowhere and just kind of sock me somewhere. And, and usually I'm like a, a third grader, so I'm, I'm usually like, you know, uh, crumbling to the ground, right, in, in tears because uh, this is like what, what's going on. And so this kid just show up, and, and every uh, other day or so, he, he would just um, find me on the playground and, and, and give me this, this sucker punch. That eventually caused me to start looking for him, you know, like, where is this guy on the playground? And uh, try to avoid him as much as I possibly could. I went home and, and I told my mom, right? I was like, uh, mom, there's this kid at, the, at school. I didn't want to tell her uh, that he was, you know, beating me up. But I, I did tell her, I was like, there's this kid and he's being really, he's being really mean to me at school. And she said the classic, like, parental response. Right? And, and it's the same response I would probably tell my kids today. Of course, my dad was just like, you just need to hit them back, right? That was my dad's response. But my mom, she had the more classic response, which was, he's just doing that to you. Why? He's just jealous of you. You, you ever found yourself saying that maybe to your kids? Or did your mom or teacher ever say that to you? They're treating you like that because they're just jealous. And I remember hearing that at the time and thinking, uh, no, I think he just wants to beat my face in, okay? Uh, I don't think it's because he's uh, jealous. But as I've gotten older and as I've matured, I've, be I've begun to realize how much truth is in that statement. That oftentimes when we are mean to other people, when people are mean, when people do things to hurt other people, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, jealousy, envy is at the root of it. And if I were to be honest, I've even done things to other people in my life, and when I examine it, I find that at the root, oftentimes, 
there was envy. It was because I envied someone else. Well, we're continuing our series today, A Higher Calling. And we've said we have been called to live out this higher calling, this way of Jesus, this most excellent way. And it's the way of agape love. It's not just eros, right, this romantic kind of love that everybody, you don't have to be a Christian, can experience. It's not even philia, this brotherly love, this friendship, family kind of love, which you don't have to be a Christian to experience, as great as these things are. We've been called to live up to something higher, this agape love. This agape love. And we're looking at this list that the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 13, and he's telling us what agape love looks like in action, which brings us to the next thing we're going to talk about in this series, where Paul says, love does not what? It does not envy. It's interesting that the, the root of this Greek word, this word for envy in the Greek, it actually means to boil. It's this idea of seething. It makes sense, doesn't it? This idea of anger that can start to boil and rage tumultuously inside of us. And we need to understand there's two levels of this idea of envy. Okay, the first is a more superficial or surface level, which is kind of what we generally mean when we talk about envy. Which is simply, it's wanting what somebody else has, right? Usually when we talk about envy, it's wanting what some. But here's the thing. I'm not even always sure it's wrong to want what someone else has. I'm not. Uh, in, in, in fact, you've heard the expression, the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, if you saw my neighbor's yard, you would realize the grass is literally greener on the other side of our fence, Okay. And this is encouraging to me. It's inspiring to me. I want my yard to look like my neighbor's yard. So we have invested money. We have paid companies to come out and fertilize it and do all the things, try to get it. It's been hopeless. I'll just tell you, okay? It's been hopeless. But I'm not sure it's always wrong to want what others have. Sometimes that can be inspiring to us. In fact, the Apostle Paul teaches us we're supposed to use him as an example in life how to live, which means we should desire his character. We should desire the spiritual progress someone like the Apostle Paul made from where he started and where he ended up. That's something we should see in someone's life and actually desire. I'm not sure it's always wrong to want what someone else has, but this is what Paul's getting to. Paul's getting to a deeper meaning of what envy is, which is the level two meaning, which is wanting what someone else has and wishing they didn't have it. Now we're getting to what the Apostle Paul is addressing. Something that William Barclay called meanness of the soul. It's why he goes on in verse 5 and he says this about agape love. Agape love is not irritable or resentful. Because when we envy what others have, let's be honest, it can make us irritable. It can make us resent that person. It can become very mean-spirited, which makes sense why this doesn't fall in line with the higher calling that you and I have been called to. What can we be envious of? 
It can be things like material things and money, right? Someone's house, someone's car, things like that. We understand this. It could be someone's status in life. Maybe it's their popularity or maybe it's their job title, where they work, what they do, something like that. It could be people, okay? It could be someone's spouse, someone's husband, someone's wife. It could be someone's children. It could be someone's friends. It could be the family they grew up in. I've seen this. I've seen this envy rise up in people when they see someone else's family, and it seems like that family has it all together and is doing well. It can create envy in our hearts. Our talents and abilities which, by the way, can very much affect the church. One of the things the Apostle Paul is constantly having to deal with when he writes to these churches is dealing with spiritual gifts. And he's got to remind us over and over and over that just because someone has a different spiritual gift than you doesn't mean the spiritual gift God has given you uh, isn't just as important as any other spiritual gift. And he's got to remind us of that over and over because one of the things that's actually happening in the church of Corinth is they're becoming envious of the spiritual gifts and some of the people have there. And so that's one of the things that can create envy in our hearts. And I, I, I should add this one. What about just beauty and looks, right? That's one that we can find ourselves growing envious of, looking at what other people. You know, when Danielle and I go out on date night, I got to tell you, we look pretty good. <laughs> and people see us and they say, wow, look at that beauty. And she's not bad either. And I... <laughs> I promise you no one's ever said that. I, I, I made that up, okay? Felt like we need a little levity there, okay? No, that's never been said. But if we're honest, sometimes it can be that. And, and, and friends, how superficial these things are. I mean, right? Material things and money can disappear. Status can disappear. People even come and go in our lives. Talents and abilities, you know? <laughs> It can be there for a time, but there's no guarantee, and, and certainly looks fade. And, and these are yet all things that we find ourselves growing so envious about. And one of the things we need to understand about envy, too, is that it's, it's subtle. It's very subtle. In fact, uh, Oscar Wilde tells this story. Uh, many years ago, he told this story about this hermit that lived out in the desert, and uh, Satan... Um, sent these demons out to try to turn this hermit away from God and disrupt his peace. And so uh, the demons go to him and they, they try to tempt him to go out and hate someone and then murder someone. But they get nowhere with that. They, they try to tempt him to go out and steal something. But again, he's a hermit. He's not tempted by that. Uh, they try to get him uh, wrapped up in sexual temptation, but they can't get anywhere with that either. And so they go back to Satan. They say, we, we've tried everything. Nothing's working. And Satan says, you're being way too aggressive. And so Satan then shows up to this hermit and whispers in his, his ear, your brother has just been made bishop. And Oscar Wilde says, a frown grows on this man's face, and he loses his peace. Friends, it's very subtle. It sneaks into our lives, and it disrupts our peace and 
hurts the relationships around us. Why is it so harmful? I mean, if you, if you stop and think about it, envy is all throughout the Bible in subtle forms. In fact, it goes all the way back to the first sin, Adam and Eve. What did Satan use to deceive them into eating the forbidden fruit? He used envy. In this case, envying God. God has something that you don't have. God has knowledge and abilities, and if you eat this fruit, you will be able to be like him. And that's how, they, that's how Satan deceived Adam and Eve. He used envy. You fast forward to Cain and Abel, right? Cain murders his brother Abel. Why? Because he envied the favor of God he saw in his brother's life. You fast forward to Joseph and uh, his brothers who grow envious of of. of the father's love for Joseph and this vision that he has. And so what do they do? They sell him off to slavery. Fast forward to Absalom and the position of his father, David, and envy and the mess that creates. You get in all the way to the New Testament and you get into the story of like the prodigal son where the older brother is envious of the grace his younger brother receives, right? I mean, it's all throughout the Bible, this idea of envy. It's so destructive. It's behind so many sins in our life, and it creates destruction everywhere it goes. It's seriously, it's like walking around with boiling water, and some of us are boiling ourselves. Some of us are boiling our marriages. We're boiling our families. We're boiling friendships. We can boil churches. Why? Because of envy. And so it might be subtle, but it is very, very, very dangerous. In fact, James says it this way, the church he's speaking to, he says, if you harbor bitter envy, level two envy, and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Don't deny that <laughs> you have envy in your heart, such wisdom, this false wisdom of the world that, oh yeah, we're going to envy and we're going to boast kind of what the world does. He says that kind of wisdom does not come down from heaven, but listen to this. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Subtle, but demonic, friends. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Wow. Wow. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Okay? So, so, so the question is, like, what do we do about this? Because this isn't how God wants us to live. God doesn't want us living you know, envious lives, boiling ourselves, boiling relationships in our life, you know, fueled by envy. In fact, what God wants us to do, he wants us to be encouragers, encouraging other people. That's why the Bible says elsewhere, right, rejoice with those who rejoice. Paul says that, right, to us in Romans. He wants us to actually be people who can celebrate the success of other people, can celebrate favor uh, in other people's life. That's how God wants us to live. How do you do that? How do you get to a point where you're not envying what other people's have and rather able to celebrate with someone? Well, I'll tell you what the enemy of envy is. It really comes down to one thing. How much joy do you have in your heart? The enemy of envy is joy. 
The person who is filled with joy, the person who is overflowing with joy in their heart is so satisfied, is so secure, so content in their relationship with God that they're not envious of what others have because they realize they have so much in their own life. If you want to know what the enemy of envy is, it's going to be increasing the joy levels in your life. And so I would ask you, how are your joy levels doing this day, church? Where are your joy levels at? You filled with joy? You overflowing with joy in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you seeing what I'm getting to here? This is where the gospel helps us, amen? We find our joy in the gospel. You're not going to find joy in the world. You might find some temporary happiness and, and, and stimulation that, you know, the world can give you temporarily. But you're not going to find the joy I'm talking about, the joy that overcomes envy. That only comes through the gospel. That only comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. How are you doing? Do you say you're filled with joy today? Overflowing with joy in your heart? If you're like me and, and you need some reminders, let me give us just a couple reminders how we increase joy in our hearts. I'm just going to give you two ideas here, two things to think about. First off, we get joy in our heart thinking on God. I think so often our focus is on the things of this world, and we forget that there is so much joy, so much treasure to be found when we turn our attention away from the things of this world and focus it on God. Look to the higher God the one who is over it all, and let our hearts meditate and think on him. In fact, these really smart men, and this was many years ago before TVs and cell phones where people weren't distracted and had time to really think deeply on these things, a council gathered, and this is something called the Westminster uh, uh, Shorter Catechism, and, and here's what they concluded. If you boil it all down, if you boil your life down to what is your primary purpose, they came up with this. They said, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Friends, your primary purpose on this earth is to live to honor God. It's to make him the focus of your life and to enjoy him. The Christian life is not about misery. The Christian life is not about being a more miserable person, white-knuckling it just to get through. The Christian life is about celebrating your God. It's about looking at his beauty, his holiness, his awesomeness, losing yourself in awe and wonder because of his splendor. In that, there is so much joy. This is why Moses, when he's asked, what do you want me to do for you? God comes to Moses, what's the one thing you would have me do for you? What does Moses answer? God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your awesome splendor, your beauty and holiness in, in, in my presence. And God is so awesome. He's so glorious. He is so unfathomable that you remember he can't even show Moses his entire, his, his entire self. He's like, I can show you my backside, all right? I got to hide my face because if you saw my face, I am so awesome and wonderful and glorious and joy-giving, you'd literally die where you stand. 
And so he has to hide Moses in the cleft of the rock so Moses can even hide from this awesome wonder that God's presence brings before him. I mean, who doesn't want that? Anybody want to get lost in that today? Here's what happens when you get lost in that, when you know what I'm talking about and this is resonating with you and you're like, yeah, I want to get lost in that. I want to stand in that. I want to live in that. The things of this world start to grow dim in your life. They just do. They, they lose their power. Why? Because you have found something better. You found the glory of God and you've started to enjoy. So my encouragement to you, your joy levels are weak this morning. Here's what you need to do. You need to start savoring savoring this God. Let yourself enjoy him and think on him and meditate on him. But there's one other thing we need to talk about here. You also need to rest in how much this God, this awesome God, loves you. See, some of you, you will say you love God. You'll even say you believe God loves you But if you were to be honest, it's easier to say you love God than it is to really believe that he loves you. Be honest. For some of you. And I know because this is how I spent many years in my Christian life. I could tell people I love God all day long, but I had such a hard time believing he really loved me. And yet what I've learned is actually the first step in the Christian life isn't saying you love God. The first step in the Christian life is really learning how much God loves you. And if you don't get that, you're not going to have any power to live out the Christian life. And we have a great example of this in the Bible. Peter and John. You ever thought about the difference in their personality? What's Peter always doing? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I will go to the grave for you, Jesus. Jesus, you can't wash my feet. I'm not worthy of that, Jesus, because I love you too much. Right? That's Peter's attitude. What's John's attitude? I am the disciple that Jesus loves. (laughs) That had to be really annoying for the other disciples. That's how John talked. I am the disciple that he loves. Over and over, this is how John talks about himself. And yet, you follow Peter, and what happens at the trial and crucifixion? Peter runs away. Not all of the disciples ran away. At least one was there at the crucifixion, stuck around at the trial. Who was it? It was John. And we read this in John 19, when Jesus, this is him hanging on the cross, being crucified. He saw his mother, Mary, and the disciple, look how John, this is John talking, and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And so from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Not only did John stick around at their crucifixion, John was the one who took Mary into his home to take care of her the rest of her days. Friends, do you see what happens when we start to believe that we are loved? Maybe some of you need to start walking around. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. I don't know about you schmucks, but he loves me. Because when I start to walk in that, I start to have confidence. It fuels my Christian life. And then guess what happens? My love for God exponentially begins to grow. And friends, that's what some of us need this morning. So where's your joy levels at? 
Where are your joy levels at? Here's what I'm going to say to you. You made it to church. Way to go. Way to go. Because here's why that's significant. We're going to get an opportunity to end with some worship and call on the presence of God to be in our midst and to stand in his glory and tell him how wonderful and awesome he is and bathe in his love for us. That's good news. And we're here this morning and we get to do it together. So I'm going to encourage us to stand up. Let's stand and let's give God some glory this morning as we praise him for being the holy, awesome, wonderful God he is. God, we can't, we don't have the words to tell you how wonderful you are, what you mean to us this morning, but I'm gonna pray for those of us who maybe are trying to get there. We're trying to walk out of here with a little more joy than when we came in. Meet us in this place, God, and fill us with your presence so we can know how awesome, wonderful, and glorious of a God you really are. That's our prayer this morning. Meet us here. Meet us here. And reveal yourself to each heart that's in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.